ask. <laughs> I'd like to thank Craig for giving me an opportunity to preach to each of y'all here today. I'd like to pray, thank all of you for all the prayers that you've been praying for me and my family for a long time. I never thought I'd necessarily be in that position of being prayed for for an extended period of, of time for health purposes, but I'm so thankful um, for all the prayers that have been lifted up. If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We'll be looking at the first 10 verses. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The title of this sermon is Living for the Gospel. What does it mean to live for the Gospel? Titus 2, 1 through 10. And in your pew Bible, that would be page 881. Verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, such a privilege to be here, Lord. You have done so much, and you continue to do so much for each of us in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you help us to see what direction we have to go, Lord, toward as we follow your word and what you teach us, but also the importance of the examples that we set for others. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. In our text, Paul is writing a mandate to Titus from or near the area of Nicopolis, which is actually on the west side of Greece, where he is planning on spending the winter. Titus, Paul's child in the faith, had accompanied Paul to Corinth and other places, and the island of Crete happened to be one of those other places. Paul trusted Titus to oversee the ministry there as he hid it for Rome. This letter was written as a reminder to Titus of his responsibilities while he stayed on Crete. Central to this epistle's theme is the teaching of sound doctrine, which in turn brings about good behavior or sanctification. In chapter 1, Paul wants Titus to establish leaders who know sound doctrine, as well as remove those in the churches throughout Crete who taught Jewish myths. Like many of Paul's letters, there's a dual purpose for his epistle. Not only was he going to direct Titus in his responsibilities, but he's also going to address the people in the various churches. It wasn't unusual for letters to be brought into a place and read to the whole congregation to give authority to the person who is reading it. So Titus, for example, 
coming, reading a letter from Paul, is going to give him the authority from Paul. And so they'll say, well, this is by Paul. And so he's speaking on behalf of Paul. And he's going to carry this out because of Paul. So when we get to chapter 2, Paul is addressing various people in the churches. He is telling them to make sure they are living lives that reflect their beliefs. And doing so to the honor and glory of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 1 again. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Paul transitions from establishing the appropriate leadership in the church to the laity that make up the congregations. He begins by telling Titus to teach the Cretan Christians what accords or is fitting with sound doctrine. Now the Greek word translated here as sound doctrine can more accurately be understood as healthy instruction. Healthy instruction. Paul has already talked about in verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 9 about sound doctrine in a proper sense. But here in chapter 2, Paul redirects his attentions from the false teachers to the community of, to those of the believers and their works. See, Paul wants Titus to teach healthy instruction which springs from a sound doctrine. Paul informed Titus in chapter 1 verses 10 through 16 that there are a group of people deceiving the laity and these individuals are teaching things that are not truthful and so they are defiled. In Titus chapter 1, at the end of it, in verse 16, before he says, before chapter 2, he says, they, are, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Paul clearly explains to Titus about the necessity of teaching healthy instructions for Christian living. The word that Paul uses here for teach shows importance, it shows need, and it shows a continuous action. Not only that, in the tone that this would come across to Titus would be in a, in a tone of encouragement. He's encouraging him to do these things that he is directing him to do. So it's not a, a very negative statement. It's a very positive but a very direct statement that he is making to Titus. So Paul is directing Titus in this encouraging way to teach and to do so continuously. You know, today we have to battle what is termed postmodernism. All of us are being faced with the societal belief that truth is relative. You have your truth, and then I have my truth. Truth is a relative thing. However, the Bible clearly teaches what is truth and what is not truth. Listen to this excerpt from a church that supports a postmodern perspective. Yellow, which is the name of their program, Yellow takes you through the Gallup Strengths Finder, Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, and Character matrix to, matrix to help you uncover your, your unique strengths and make your irreplaceable contribution to humanity. Join us for this unrivaled experience and discover the life you are created to live. But like Titus, our ministers are supposed to provide instruction in biblical doctrine and in biblical good works. So Paul divides up the next nine verses into five categories of people. So he's covering everything. We have older men, we have older women, we have younger women, we have younger men, and we have slaves. Five different groups of people that Paul is addressing throughout the island of Crete. So Paul directs Titus first to teach older men about certain biblical 
behaviors. Look at verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So who are the older men in the church? Well, when you look at this word, you may just say, what well, says older men? But when we compare it to other words used back in that time period, we find that it probably means people who are about 50 or over. So some of you say, oh, that's me. And some of you say, maybe not me. <laughs> but 50 or over. So how are the older men to behave? First, they're supposed to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. This doesn't mean that you're not supposed to drink anything. It's, it's not dealing with that idea at all. What he's saying here is that you have to be a person that is level-headed. You're to be aware, alert, and prepared when making decisions and not driven by your emotions. You are to be a sensible person. Second, you're to be dignified. This word can mean that you are serious about things. Also, it reflects a person of good character who is respected by those in the community. You know, how easy it is for us to come to church and behave in a certain fashion. And people look at you and they like you and things are going well, but then to go outside of the church and go to the restaurant or something like that and your waitress messes up your meal and then you get mad. Then you yell at her, say something bad. Now, I'm not sure how many old people over 50 wore a shirt like this, but you may, may pretend you had a shirt that said, you know, I love Jesus. You know, what kind of example does that send to individuals? Thirdly, Paul says you should be self-controlled. Self-controlled. Paul finds this extremely important because he uses this word three times in the passage that we're looking at. It is important to control your behavior and your emotions. Let's look at an Old Testament example. Judges 14.3. If you want to turn, you can. <clears throat> Speaking about Samson, it says, But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her from me, for she is right in my eyes. See, Samson wasn't supposed to marry outside of his people, but he wanted the girl that was right, that right girl, which in a figurative way actually means he wants the girl that is pleasing to his eyes. See, he lacked self-control, and he easily gave in to his passions. And if you read more of Samson, you find that to be just his normal course of life. And these kinds of things do not glorify God. Now, in sign language... The idea for self-control, and if I get this wrong, correct me, but I'm pretty sure of this. The sign language is self, and then you put your hands like this, control. And it's the idea of like if you have reins in your hand, and you're pulling back on the reins to stop something down. This is kind of the picture that you get, that you want to pull back, and you want to control your emotions. You want to control your passion, passions. Rein those things in. Rein in your passions. Well, Paul moves from these two adjectives that we just talked about to another word. And this word means sound and well-grounded. So older men are to be ones who have established themselves, who have put themselves well-grounded themselves, are sound, he says, in faith, in love, and in steadfastness or perseverance. 
we can see similar uses of these, this trio of words in other biblical texts. In 1 Timothy 6.11 it says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. But why are these behaviors important for older men? Why is he addressing these older men? It doesn't say for sure, but we know in chapter 1 that Titus was told to establish elders within the church so they can take care of problems within the, the, the church. So in chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, uh, Paul says, For an overseer or an elder, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. See, I think that Paul right here, is, he's preparing these older men to take on maybe another responsibility later. Because, you, you know, your elders may not live forever, which is the reality of life. They would not live forever. And somebody's got to take their place. So somebody has to be taught to have a certain way of life, to live a certain way, to set the example a certain way. And so these older men are being set up and prepared for this responsibility. And they may never have it, but they're being prepared for this responsibility. Now after relating to the older men, Paul turns and he relates next to the older women and younger women. I'm going to put them together. Look at verses 3 through 5. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Older women here refers to women who are about 60 years of age. So there we go, we got our context there. And Titus is saying that they are to, to that he is, and Paul is telling Titus that he is to teach them to be reverent, honorable people in their conduct. The Greek word for reverent expresses an interior quality or a disposition. This is who this person has become. This is who this person is. This is a reverent, honorable person. And since they are honorable or reverent, they should not, first off, be slanderers. Let me read this poem to you. In the course of your conversation, each and every day, think twice, try to be careful of what you have to say. Your remarks may be picked up by someone's listening ear. You may be surprised at what some people think they hear. Things that you innocently say or try to portray can be changed and greatly exaggerated along the way. Many stories change for the worse as they are retold. So try to keep any questionable remarks on hold. May I give all of you some very sound advice. When you speak of others, say something nice. Try to say good things regardless of who is around. If you have nothing good to say, don't utter a sound. You may find that an innocent remark in the end may lose you a close and valued friend. James says this in James 3.6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire 
by hell. Now, it is normal within our community for the women to be engaging individuals who have needs, who have hurts. It just becomes just what, what you see in our churches. I imagine most of the women, when we had meals brought to us, were the ones who cooked the meals, who prepared the meals, and the husbands probably helped deliver the meals. But women want to be there. They want to help. They want to be engaging. But part of that engaging of somebody is listening and learning things about somebody, and information becomes part of this whole experience. And so you know things about people. So you have to be careful, and you have to be guarded in this kind of position that you find yourself in. One scholar wrote this. He said, Concern for people can degenerate into this vice of slander or malicious gossip. The older women need to fight against this type of thinking, this type of thing. Fight against it, because a lot of people will turn to you for various types of advice and opinions and help. Then Paul warns the older women to be careful with drinking too much wine. He uses a word which means that the wine is now in control of you. It has you. And the word that's translated in, in my Bible is enslaved, and I think that's a great word. It's enslaved you. It has hold of you. See, the Cretans on the island of Crete believed that drinking alcohol was actually kind of a virtue. And they used it for various things. Some of them like to use it for fun. Some people like to use it for escape. The various types of ways. But they didn't see it as a negative thing at all. And they would abuse it. And so their culture had, suffer, had suffered from a lot of alcohol abuse. Now, we're not any different in our culture. We know from experience that American culture likes to do things to the extreme. We have a problem with anything that's not extreme. So we have to be careful, especially when it talks about society and drinking. Our culture and all the problems that come from that are very evident on TV. But let me read you a, a science report that deals with women and alcohol. The CDC reports this about women today. Although men are more likely to drink alcohol than drink in larger amounts, gender differences in body structure and chemistry cause women to absorb more alcohol and take longer to break it down and remove. In other words, upon drinking equal amounts, women have higher alcohol levels in their blood than men, and the immediate effects occur more quickly and last longer. These differences also make women more vulnerable to alcohol's long-term effects on their health. And then dealing with younger women, it says national surveys show that about six out of every 10 women of childbearing age, 18 to 44, use alcohol, and about one-third of those men drink. See, today, women do have reason to be concerned and need to be careful if they find themselves in any of these areas. So from our text, though, it's not necessarily very clear, you know, why he says this to the older women, but because he says it, apparently within that island, there may have been a problem with older women and drinking, and he was trying to address this, and maybe because of their responsibility to teach younger women. He wanted to, to make sure this was taken care of for them. Now, after Paul established what constituted appropriate behavior for older women, Paul informs Titus that he must instruct them about teaching the younger women. So Titus is to teach the older women about teaching younger women. The Greek word Paul uses for teaching is only used here in this biblical passage. This adjective is a combination of two words, one word meaning honorable, the other word meaning teaching. Paul desires the older women to teach what is good, sound, and honorable to younger women. And then Paul gives a list of things that young women 
should be taught. And all of these characteristics primarily relate to the household. Let's read these verses again. <coughs> the end of uh, verse 3, They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. The young women are supposed to first love their husbands and children. She might have other obligations in her life, but her first priority should be her family. And we see again the word self-control. This word, when it's used with women, can also mean modest. But in either case, what we have here is Paul telling the younger women to control how they present themselves in public in both appearance and action. Young women should not allow their passions or emotions to get the best of them. They are to control them as well. They are also to be pure. They must not give in to romantic engagements. They must not allow themselves to fantasize, whether romantic novels or whatever they may be involved, or physically. They must be careful to remain pure in all forms. They are to be chaste in all aspects of their lives. Then Paul writes that women should be working at home. This is better understood as being busy at home. See, Paul realized that idle time can create searching minds. And if women do not keep themselves busy, they might succumb to various temptations. You know, today many women work outside of the home. This is just a normal part of the culture that we live in. However, women should be concerned when their work takes priority over their family. When they find themselves totally engaged in their work more, then they're even involved in their own family. Next, younger women need to be taught kindness. Kindness involves a gentle and patient spirit. Kindness to others and kindness in the home. See, some women are very fortunate. They are just blessed with this wonderful ability to be very kind. And then there are other women who pray to the Lord constantly but find themselves challenged in this area of kindness. But it's important that they cultivate kindness in their lives. Cultivate this fruit of the Spirit, as it says in Galatians 5, 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And the text that, that our pastor read for us at the beginning covers the same issue. These important qualities that we are trying to develop within us. You know, the media has recently been inundated with examples of teenage girls beating up on each other. Filming it and then taking it and plastering it all over the internet. Remember the movie Mean Girls? Unfortunately, our society often associates kindness with weakness. It seems we replace this important character trait with traits of assertiveness and confidence. Now, while these traits do have their place, they are not a substitute for teaching basic acts of kindness. We must be kind to one another. Well, then Paul turns to the importance of women submitting to their own husbands. Now, they do not submit to other husbands. They just submit to their own husbands, very clear. And they submit on a regular 
and continuous basis. Let us look at this some more. Ephesians 5, 22 through 25. Give you a second if you want to turn to that. Ephesians 5, 22 through 25. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What we see is a wife that is submitting voluntarily. And she submits because of the love of the husband who is willing, and he shows this in his life, willing to die for his wife. I mean, if you have a sense that your husband is willing to die for you, do you think that that's a sense of love that you may feel in that relationship? But he's willing to lay down his life for you as an example that was set by Christ who has laid down his life for us. And why should the women the younger women be taught these things? What says it on the end of that verse? That the word of God may not be reviled. See, the older women will teach both by example and word. So they'll tell them about it and they'll live it. And the younger women are to take that information, take those instructions, and they are to live that in their lives. Why? So that God's word will not be dishonored or spoken evil of. Now, who might speak evil of God's Word? You know, those people who belong to the community, those people who do not belong to this community of believers. Sound teaching results in good works, which sets a real example for the gospel. What you do is important because it reflects the gospel. It's important what you do because of what other people see in you. Next, Paul finds it necessary to have Titus instruct the younger men. Titus 2, verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Okay, that's all they have to do. Younger men, self-control, no problem. You can do that. And at first glance, one might be concerned that younger men don't have much to do. Yet we can all agree that young men should take control of their passions. Take control of those and get a handle on them. Passions refer to things like lust, coveting, impulsiveness, those types of things. And anyone who's had a son can appreciate the importance of self-control. Some of you have sons and can say, oh yeah, <laughs> they do need to learn self-control. But it's important that they are taught self-control. Paul is so aware of this need that he uses an imperative, a command. Urge the younger men. Titus, do not just tell them once or twice, but continue to tell them to be in control. Drill it into their heads over and over again, but do so in an encouraging manner. Still has that part of encouraging added to it. Do it. Be straightforward, but do it in love. Be encouraging to help them in this area. Look at verses 7 and 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, 
and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So Paul has shifted from the younger man, and to speak right here in this section, speaking directly to Titus. Titus is to be an example, and he is to be a model of good works. Not just to the young men, but to the others, everybody. Of course, you know, this is a lot of responsibility. He's the one person, you know, I guess like a pastor in a sense, standing out there having to be this beacon that you have to follow. He has a lot of responsibility. But Paul knows that the Spirit of God is working in and through Titus, and Paul trusts that Titus is the right man for the job, or he wouldn't have given him that job. Paul specifies that the teaching that, that Titus is to do must represent integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, and sound speech that is above criticism. Why? Again, we have another purpose statement. So that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. The reason Paul desires this is so those from outside the Christian community might be ashamed of their criticisms. They might be ashamed to say, well, I've been saying these bad things, but this person, look at how they live. And hopefully this shame that they feel will lead them to salvation in Christ. And finally, Paul speaks to Christian slaves. Verse 9. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. When we talk about slaves at this time, it can mean several things. It could be a slave, like we probably picture, a person who is totally like chattel, treated badly, or it could be a person who's actually trusted within this family, trusted to take care of household responsibilities. We have a wonderful example of this in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And these could be examples of what we have here, that he's talking to people in Crete that are maybe in this position. So even during the time of the patriarchs, we find that slaves can be given charge of a household. Paul is saying that if you are a Christian and a slave, set an example for the one who owns you. And this owner, and Paul does not say that this owner is another Christian owner like in Philemon, but this owner is one who may not be a Christian, because why would he set the example for him? The word for submission here is written in a way that means that this slave is doing this on his own. No one has to tell him. He is going to do this himself. And he's not going to do this because someone requested this of him. Now what does this submission look like? Well, first off, it said well-pleasing. What does that mean to be well-pleasing? This means that you give satisfaction to something. This means that you're serving something well. You're doing your best to please the person 
who's in charge or over you. You're not to be argumentative. You're not to talk back to your master. You're not to be an obstinate person, but you are to be a person that's a gentle spirit. Not pilfering. That's best understood as saying, you know, if you're in charge of a household, don't misappropriate the funds. Don't embezzle. Don't do that. And then he says, showing all good faith. A good translation is, but in all things, demonstrating good faithfulness. And in this context, it means to be an example, faithful to the gospel. Now, although we here in America don't have a system of slavery today, we are subject to bosses at work. We have some people over us that tell us what to do. Many of us go to work, and then we forget that we're supposed to be a certain way, even at work. We forget that we are setting an example of the gospel that is within us. And what does that mean when we don't reflect this? That means we're hurting and hampering the movement of the gospel. We should show our boss the same respect that the Christian slave was to show his master. It'd be good for us to meditate on being well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith in all that you do. Paul ends this section with another purpose statement. The purpose is that slaves may adorn or do credit to the teaching about God as Savior. Living for the gospel means thinking about how Christ is being portrayed by your actions in society. Living for the gospel means thinking about how Christ is being portrayed by your actions in our society. How is he being portrayed to other people? Are you an example for them? Now, in looking at the text as a whole, it must be stated that good works do not save you, but only show others Christ in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. John Owen, one of the great Puritan theologians of the 17th century, wrote this concerning the Christian's duty. It reveals its own mysteries to lay them as the foundation. It then grafts all duties of moral obedience on this stock of faith in Christ Jesus. This is the method of the gospel which the Apostle Paul observeth in all his epistles. First, he declares the mysteries of faith that are peculiar to the gospel, and then descends into those moral duties which are regulated thereby. See, Owen is telling us that reading Paul causes us first to understand doctrine, and then behavior. Paul explains the proper biblical teaching and the behavior that should result. See, so we, we get in a picture of what we're supposed to do. And then in chapter 3, he comes back to say, Now remember, good works don't save you. In fact, in chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. You know, our Savior teaches the same thing. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. 
You are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Why? So they can give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus tells us to be an example to the world so that God will be glorified. And your good works are a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ working in your life. Let us live our lives setting an example for others of the gospel that we so wonderfully love and so greatly adorn. Let us pray.